And this is really setting the stage for not only the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, as he continues with this subject of what's taking place in our heart, but really setting the mood for Jesus' ministry, the point of him even coming, that we are people in desperate need of a Savior. Now, um, what we're going to see, and we've seen this already, but I think we see it even more today, is that this relationship that he's talking about is just that. It's, it's us and the Lord. It's this idea that was very foreign to the people of Jesus' day of having this personal relationship. God was seen because of the picture that the Pharisees had painted as being angry, vengeful, and, and distant, unreachable. You had to jump through all the hoops of the law, and then maybe you could even approach him, possibly. Jesus is laying down a very different but accurate picture of who God is. And this relationship that he's speaking of is one where instead of God being far off and distant, Jesus is saying, look, it's just you and God. It's the two of you together. That you desperately need him, and he desperately loves you. And, and it's, it's very foreign to uh, people, certainly in Jesus' day, and unfortunately very foreign in people in our day. And so we're going to be talking about that a lot as we go on. Uh, as Jesus continues to really focus on the issues of our hearts as human beings, as fallen people. Uh, and not just talking about the big things like murder and adultery or really even of sin. Today, he's really going to be focusing on why we do what we do. What's the motive? And it's possible to do good things and have the completely wrong reason to do them. And, and so much of who we are unfortunately, has gotten really good at making it look like we're, we're good people, nice people, kind people, but we can have the wrong motive. And so Jesus is going to point out this using uh, several different things. He's going to talk about giving and being generous. He's going to talk about our prayer life, fasting, uh, what we focus on as far as money or the fears of life, our, our worries and our concerns. But today we're just going to really focus on giving and prayer. Like I said, we're just going to look at the first couple uh, the first 15 verses or so of the chapter. And he gets a little bit more intense, too. So Jesus has been bringing correction to the teaching of the Pharisees, but it's been direct but a little, uh, little bit gentle. As he says, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this, right? So he's saying, this is what you hear. This is what people teach. This is what you're getting from the Pharisees, but I'm telling you, that's wrong. This is what's up. But now he gets even more forceful saying, don't be like the hypocrites. <laughs> you know? And again, I'm picturing the Pharisees who are like on the outside of the group, kind of listening and going, wait a second, he's still talking about us, you know. But he's really talking about anybody. He's talking about anybody that would uh, say one thing with the wrong motive or do one thing with the wrong motive. Uh, and he's really calling a, us out as people. So let's pray and we'll get into chapter six. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough to bring correction, but Lord, you also bring us the answer in yourself and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that as we get into your word today, you would convict, you would teach, you would cause us to be broken in order that you could bring healing. Lord, that we come to the end of ourselves and that we could go even deeper with you. And we give you this time. We pray, Holy Spirit, have your way. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be seen in secret, and your Father who is who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Whatever we do, we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing it? Now, I think it's also important to understand what Jesus is talking about, what he's not talking about here. Because I think we all like that when we do something, we put our heart into it, and we, we've planned it out, and it doesn't matter if it's work or a hobby or a kindness, that it's nice to have someone say, hey, I see your work. I see what you did there, and it's good, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about, that we shouldn't be people that are like, oh, I can't receive a thank you. And, and if you've talked to that person, when you say, hey, I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. No, 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 don't thank me. Don't thank me. Like you're stealing their reward in heaven. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about those things that we do where the motive in doing it is that that's all that we want is the praise of men, right? Uh, and the word, uh, that's a Greek phrase actually for your righteous deeds or for your charitable deeds literally means righteousness. So it isn't just giving. It isn't just giving money. It isn't just giving, of, uh, you know, meeting some need of a person in a physical sense. It's a righteous deed that you're doing uh, with the appearance like you want to give the Lord the credit and the glory. Uh, but really, the motive that he's calling out is that we want to be seen by people. Um, and I think it's also important that we know that this isn't something Jesus is saying that if you do that or if you have a wrong motive and you do a kind thing or whatever for the wrong motive, God's not going to punish you. He's not going to be even angry with you. But we need to understand what we're doing is we're ripping ourselves off. That if I serve another person and what I really want is them to tell me how great I am, that's all the reward I'm going to get. That's it. That, that that thing that I've been seeking after, and they go, hey, good job. <laughs> Boom, paid in full. That's all you get. And, and we rip ourselves off because if we understand that if we honestly did those things for the Lord, then he has so much more in store to give us, so much blessing in store that he wants to pour out on us. And... Uh, I think that changes our whole motive when we, when we get that. Now, Jesus calls out a couple things that happened in his day that we don't necessarily see it like this uh, today. He talks about don't sound a trumpet. Um, and this wasn't something that took place in uh, the synagogues or even in the temple on a regular basis. But there were certain festivals that would take place. And the Jewish leaders had come up with this idea that, hey, during these festivals, during these feasts, if somebody gives a donation, especially a sizable one, we're going to blow the trumpet, right? And it became this almost like fundraiser, a begathon, 
you know, in the early church and or the early uh, synagogues at the time and even in the temple. And so what would happen is, is that people would wait to give their offering until that time. It wasn't about giving because they could give at any point, but they're like, no, no, let's hold this back a little bit. Let's wait till the feast comes. And that way they'll blow the trumpet and people will go, wow, did you see the gift they gave? And Jesus is saying, you've been paid in full. That's as much as you'll get. It doesn't matter what you gave. Millions and millions of dollars given. You wanted the praise of men? Good job. That's what you get. Whereas the Lord had so much more in store for them. Um, Verse 3 says, But when you do your charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, This is something that people miss. This is meant to be funny. Jesus used humor a lot. And, and we get this idea like he was always so sober and monotone and, you know, never. This is a funny saying. The idea that you would give something in your left hand and be like, wait, what did we do? It, it's meant to be humorous. And it's again, it's the idea of that the motive that if you could somehow fool yourself in why you gave or what you gave, that'd be perfect. You're not looking for any other motive. You're not looking for any other reward. And and I love that Jesus brings out something humorous in order to teach this serious topic. And I've found uh, in my own life, there is something so exciting about being generous for the Lord. Those times where, where we've seen a need or we've heard of a need in the church or in friends or whatever it might be, and being able to want, be the one that kind of swoops in and takes care of it like, like a bandit, like a spiritual hit and run. They don't even know what happened or who did it. And you're in and you're, you're out and they're like, where did this come from? You know, yes. And it gets exciting. It's one of those things that you kind of start finding yourself praying like, all right, Lord, who's next? Wh- who else needs something? How else can we can we come in and, and be like that? The bandits for the Lord, you know, just doing what no one else expects. It's an exciting way to live. It, it's fantastic. And again, it becomes its own reward. How, instead of going, well, all right, Lord, I did this great thing. How will you reward me openly? You don't even care anymore. You're like, that was the best. <laughs> Let's just keep doing that. And, and seeing how the Lord is going to take care and point out the needs of the people around you. It's fantastic. Being generous for Jesus is fun. It's, it's a, its own blessing. And I think as, as Jesus is, is pointing this out, I think it brings us to an important topic because he says, do not be like the hypocrites. And we all know, when you talk to the basic person on the street that doesn't go to church, and what's the first thing that they say about the church? Hypocrites. And unfortunately, it's been what the church has become known for. When what Jesus is saying here is that we need to be those, instead of marked by hypocrisy, our lives should be marked with generosity. We should be those not looking for an earthly reward, not looking for a person to tell us how great we are, but doing what we do to bless those around us that he gets the glory and we don't. Like John the Baptist saying, I have to decrease that he might increase. Right? And we've talked about that before. I think the best pastors, the best leaders, the best worship leaders, they disappear when they're in front. They, they, they're not trying to bring attention to themselves. They don't bring attention to themselves. Man, and again, it's just a mark of 
of the life that we're called to live. All right, verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition, as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things that you need that you need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Now Jesus moves in to prayer and the importance of it, how it's to be done. But really, even before he gets to the how or what to say, again, he points to the why. Why are we doing this? Who is it for? He says, they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in verse 5, and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Now, in the synagogues, you had the, the rabbi, the local rabbi, you had some leaders, and occasionally they would ask a person to pray. Anyone involved, from the rabbi, leaders, guest person, whoever it might be, certainly could take that opportunity to give a very long, long prayer. And even among the Pharisees, there are certain historical recordings of that you get the idea that it was almost like this contest. Not, not necessarily who could say the longest prayer, but who could fit most stuff into their prayer. And, and just the lead up, as far as like talking about God's greatness, his eternal power, is it would go on and on and on and on, and, and they would just keep on going, right? And Jesus points out, you know what? They're just wanting to be heard. They're wanting others to hear how they sound. I remember when Candy and I first got saved, we went to this church. And it was great. The pastor and his wife just loved us, discipled us. And there was this one guy there who was an odd dude, but I did not realize it at the time how odd he was. But whenever he prayed, he prayed in King James. And I was like, that dude is serious. I mean, when you want God's attention, you use his language, right? King James. To me, I was convinced that that was the key for a while. And I'm like, wait a second. Jesus doesn't talk about that at all when he talks about the Lord's Prayer. And, and we certainly have our own hang-ups and things that we do or whatever. But again, is that how we pray when it's just us and the Lord? When it's just us and God in the quiet place? How do we talk to him? Because it should be, however it is, it should be, as a friend speaks to another friend. It should be as a child speaks to their father. It should be loving, it should be true, it should be honest and sincere. 
And that's what Jesus is, is getting to here. That there, there were those that uh, would find themselves on the street corner, and they had a certain time, uh, the noonday time of prayer. And these certain people, probably pointing to the Pharisees, others could have done it, but I'm sure the Pharisees were probably the biggest culprits of it, would just magically find themselves on the busiest street corner in the marketplace at the time of prayer. And so then they'd, wait, I must stop and pray. And everyone's like, whoa, look at them. They've stopped even shopping. You know, they, they froze right where they were to start praying because it's so important to them. Or is it because they wanted everybody in the market to see and think just that? Jesus makes it pretty clear. They want to be seen by men. Now, I think we have to be careful about some other things. Certainly, we could try and say a very poetic prayer, and we could sound intelligent, but I find there are other things that we use prayer for in a wrong way, and we need to be careful, cautious, because we can use prayer to gossip. Now, I don't want to say anything, but let's pray for so-and-so because they're super hard time going on. It might be their marriage. I don't really know. Maybe it, and, and people are like, oh, my gosh, what's going on with them? Not a sincere prayer that just gossip disguises prayer. We can pray for the ears of those who are around us to correct them, to shame them, to belittle them. That is praying to be heard by the ears of men. And Jesus strongly rebukes that here. Again, whatever we think we're going to accomplish in doing that, we have received our reward in full. Instead, Jesus is encouraging us to have our own private prayer time. Now, he's not discouraging group prayer. And I've had people say that. Well, Jesus said you shouldn't pray in a group. You should get, you just go and pray in quiet. Well, he didn't say that. That it's just fine to pray in a group. Make sure the motive in doing it. And I think probably the best way is to have your own private prayer time. That when you are just talking with the Lord, it establishes how you talk to the Lord. Right? It, it, it makes that communication open and normal, and it's a lot easier to do it when you're in front of people. And be real about it. And again, this is something that Jesus is bringing us down to this truth of it being just us and God the Father in this new deep relationship that to them was pretty unknown. Verse 6 says, when you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now the word uh, for your room, or again a phrase for your room, really means a, a stronghold or a storehouse where precious things are kept. I thought that was cool. The idea is that it isn't just a quiet place, but to you, that is the place where precious things take place with you and the Lord. That you shut out the distractions. You shut out the things that would draw you away. You turn off the computer. You're not checking your emails. You're not on Facebook. You are right there with the Lord. And in that secret place, you are growing in your friendship and your relationship with him. Now, that could be a room in your house. It could be your car while you're driving. It could be in the woods or on the mountain, wherever the secret place is for you. 
But I would say it's important that the secret place is someplace that's accessible and that it happens on a regular basis. I've talked with people, they're like, oh, I've got this place that I love to go to, and it's this waterfall, and it takes a day to hike there. And you're like, well, that's great, but you can't do that every day. So what's the secret place daily? What's the time that you know that it's just you and the Lord? Well, it's when I drive to work. Great. Shut off the radio and just talk to the Lord. Spend time. And he wants to meet you in that place. I love it. It's also not vain repetition. Asking for the same thing over and over again, ten different ways. I think it's interesting, you know, growing up in the, in the Catholic Church, that uh, we recited the Lord's Prayer all the time. And it's the very thing he says, not in vain repetition. <laughs> but let's repeat this over and over again, the church says, you know. And funny, the, the other thing about that is that growing up, hearing that so many times, I still had no idea what it meant. There were so many things that I just never understood about what the Lord's Prayer was about. Effective prayer is honest prayer. It's not a bunch of words that sound poetic. It isn't repeating the same things over and over again. And you can look throughout the Bible of effective prayers. I think one of the best examples of powerful, effective prayer is in Matthew 14, that we'll look at when we get there. Peter has the boldness to ask the Lord, call me out on the water. And he goes out. He's walking on the water. And then he begins to sink, and he sees the wind and the waves. And as he's going down, he utters this eloquent prayer, just with words that he had chosen and prepared for. He shouts out, Lord, save me. <laughs> That's it. And the Lord saved him. Right? Isn't that what effective prayer is? That we say what we mean without any facade, and the Lord acts. Lord, save me. And that is the most honest prayer any of us, any person, could ever utter. Charles Spurgeon, great in the uh, history of the church, love Charles Spurgeon. He said that a Christian's prayer is measured by weight and not length. I like that. If you can have an honest, short prayer that's great weight to it. Or you could pray all day long and have absolutely no weight to it at all. I think it's also important we remember prayer is not for us, or excuse me, is not for God, it's for us. Like tithing, like worship, like prayer is, is in that same way. It isn't that God is up there going, I don't even know what's going on with those guys. I wish they'd tell me. Like he needs to be reminded of something that he forgot. Or like he's unaware of some situation that we're in. We're like, hey, God, you know, this person at work is really giving me a hard time. And he's like, who? What? I, I didn't know that. Why didn't you say something earlier? He knows. And Jesus makes it clear. He knows everything you need before you ever even ask for it. Prayer is for us. So that we have to humble ourselves and admit we can't do it. That we have to be in that broken place, in that quiet place with him, and, and, and steal that time from the rest of our life to go, Lord, it's just me and you. I need to hear from you. 
And it also reminds us and, and prepares us for that when he answers, we know where to give the credit. Hey, these are, these are the exact same things that I prayed for. And I believe, while sometimes the best you can do is generic prayer, in, in, in some situations you're like, Lord, bless them. I don't even know what they need, right? But I believe the more specific we can be, the more we have to rely on the Holy Spirit during our time of prayer, the more we'll see the answers clearly. When God brings them about, we go, man, that's exactly what you put on my heart to pray for. I didn't even know it at the time that these were the needs, but they they came to my mind. You brought them to my heart, and I prayed for those things, and now I see the answers that you brought about so clearly, right? It's for us. Causes us to grow. Causes our relationship with him to grow. I think too often we look at prayer as being our spiritual shopping list. Okay, Lord, I need this. I need that. I need to take care of them. Do something about that person. And if you could do it today, it'd be great. Right? Not that there's anything wrong with praying for our needs or even praying for our wants. But we need to understand that that is a small part of our prayer life. It's meant to be a small part. I think we make it much bigger than it's supposed to be. And I believe that Jesus shows us that very thing as we look at the Lord's Prayer. Um, Again, these aren't magic words. When I was a kid, I kind of thought, man, when you're serious, you say the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't even matter if you understand it or not, because I didn't. But when I'm serious, that's what I'm going to say, because that's what they said is important. And I just say it over and over again vain repetition uh the lord gives us this not as like this is the perfect prayer or these are the magic words this is a model of prayer this is these are the things that are important this is the 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 way we are to approach prayer itself and he says that as he says in this manner therefore pray not these words not exactly like this this is the manner First of all, verse 9, he says, Our Father in heaven. Again, this was a new concept in Jesus' day. This was something that was peop- some believed was blasphemy. That to say that God was your Father, completely inappropriate. You could say he's the Father of Israel. You could say he was the Father of, of Abraham and Isaac, you know, in some ways, spiritually. Certainly the Father of Adam. But to say he's your Father? Oh, man. So Jesus puts this out there and just goes, look, he is your father. It's not even a question. Even if you don't believe it, people are like, I don't believe in God. No, but he believes in you. And he knows that he's your father, even if you don't. And so Jesus brings this. And again, the religious leaders had painted such a stark, vengeful picture of God. It's delivering it to them saying, no, he's your father and he loves you. I think that's one of the things that we need to be aware of in our lives and even as we share that with people because, unfortunately, the picture of our earthly father has greatly distorted who our heavenly father is. If you didn't have a good relationship with your father, if your earthly father was a person that was very unreliable or very uh, loose cannon or abusive in any way, then when someone goes, hey, God is your father, you kind of go, oh. But we need to understand Jesus is describing 
the perfect father. The father above every father. Completely loving. Completely forgiving. Full of mercy and kindness. And that we can approach him as his loved children. That we can come before his throne without fear. Because he's our dad. And Jesus, and later on, Paul used the term Abba, which literally means daddy. It's, it's even more familiar than, than father, that it is Abba. But there is still, and again, this is speaking of a, in a healthy father-son or father and daughter relationship, that there is this loving, caring authority, and that there is this due respect from us toward him, right? When he says, hallowed be your name. The word literally means holy, but there's, there's even more to it than that, that it means set apart, sanctified, perfect, and pure. That we don't consider his name, and again, this isn't just his name of Yahweh or Jesus or whatever you want to you know, apply the, the many names of the Lord that are given to in, in Scripture. It's speaking of his character. That a person's name is their character. And so when we consider hallowed be your character, you are set apart, you are holy, you're perfect, pure, sanctified above all things. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Again, when we understand that he is that loving heavenly father who is out for our good and to protect us, then it's a lot easier to go, yes, I want your kingdom in my life. I want your will to be done above my own. But we have to understand that first part of his goodness and his loving character before we would ever want his kingdom or his will. But it's bringing us to this point of decision because we're very good at promoting our name and our kingdom and our will. These are the things that we've been doing since we were toddlers. And it's part of our fallen nature. And so a choice has to be made where we go, okay, it's not about me being someone or being recognized or seen by the people around me as important. I'm not going to promote my name. I'm going to promote yours. I'm not going to try and build my kingdom here on earth. I want to build your kingdom. It's not about my will. In my life, at all, it's about your will being done. And again, it isn't someday in heaven. It's right now today on earth as it is in heaven. And then we come to personal need. But see how far down the list that was, right? We usually start off with, and I need this and that. And, and so Jesus has said no. And how we approach God as a loving, caring father is the first part. We're looking for his will above our own. And, and down there on the list, we come to give us this day our daily bread. This day, our daily bread. Not tomorrow, not next week, not so I can stockpile it up and have more than enough. And, and just have an abundance forever and ever, right? When the children were in Israel, the children of Israel were in the desert, manna fell six days out of the week. Each day was just enough for them. Till right before the Sabbath, they would get enough for two days so they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath, right? It was exactly what they needed. We live in a society that says, oh, you don't just need what you need. You need more than you need. In fact, you need all this stuff that you never need. And you should tell your friends all the stuff that they never need, too. So you all have a bunch of stuff, 
and we'll all pull, put it all together in one place, and we'll call it Walmart, right? <laughs> That's the kind of life that we live, right, in the society that we live in. It's like, well, yeah, I've got enough, but I want more. And, and Jesus is like, no, just, just enough. Again, the Lord knows everything you need. He even knows what you want. He wants to bless you. So we don't have to uh, start striving, straining for all these things that we don't need. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is not a change of subject. He doesn't go from, give us this day our daily bread, and then, okay, new subject, now we're going to start with these other things. The idea is, is that just as much as we need our daily bread, we need daily forgiveness. And we need to give forgiveness daily. And we need to have his protection on our life from my own weaknesses and temptations and even against the attacks of the enemy. I need his protection. These are things needed daily. Not just once a week, not once a month when we pray about it, not when things all fall apart and go bad. And on, if we're really, really honest, that's when our prayer life gets good, right? It isn't so much a little bit every day. It's that we wait till the panic moment. We wait till like, repeat or sinking, right? And then we're like, oh, maybe I should pray about this. And Jesus lays down this idea of like, no, it's, it's seeking these things daily. God, I still need your forgiveness. I, I need your forgiveness more today than I needed it yesterday. And there are people in my life I need to forgive. I need to let those things go. And I need your protection over me. Physically, spiritually, against my own flesh, against my own temptations, and against the, the powers of darkness. These are daily needs. And that this need... These daily needs can only be filled by the one true God. Can't be filled by Walmart. Can't be filled by any other stuff. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how much earthly power you attain. They can only be fulfilled by the one true God. Because his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's an acknowledgement. God, you're the only one who can do these things in my life. You're the only one that can bring these things about. And I admit that freely, and I acknowledge who you are. And I think it's interesting, in all these things that Jesus touches on here, he knows what we need to hear, and now that's different from what we like to hear. Because he talks about things like God being our father and we're like yeah I like that like the idea of that healthy child and father relationship I want that with the almighty God that would be amazing absolutely I, I and again knowing who he is I want his kingdom I want his will I'm happy to ask about my needs I need his protection but the part that he knows that we stop on is as we forgive our debtors I mean, I know I need forgiveness, but wait, wait, wait. You, you're at, telling me I need to also forgive other people? And so of all the things that Jesus goes back to touch on again, it's forgiveness. In verse 14, he says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive your trespasses. Now, again, in the Jewish mindset, that was huge. 
Because they knew and they understand, well, first of all, the idea of sin was ever before their eyes. They knew that every single person was a sinner. They knew that no matter what they did or what sacrifice they gave, how much they gave in the temple would only cover sin. It would never take it away. Chickens are here. I'm glad. They're so cute. I just, I get super distracted. Okay. Don't look. Actually, there's these little black ones running around. They are the cutest ever. They're about that big. Anyhow. But the Lord knows how we know we need forgiveness personally, but we're not so quick to give it out. And so for the Jewish people, they, they really had the overall question of how can sin be forgiven? They knew it wasn't by sacrificing animals in the temple. That just covered it. It was just until the perfect sacrifice came. And that no matter how much, I mean, if you added up all the sacrifice that ever took place in the temple, it wouldn't be enough to take away even one sin from one person. And they knew that. And so when Jesus says that if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you, it would have got their attention. Well, we can get forgiveness, but they also would have stopped when it was time that we had to be those who were also forgiving that we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive yours. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. This has been misunderstood. I've heard people talk about it or refer to this almost like God's threatening, telling you better do this or else. What Jesus is doing here is, is explaining or bringing out a spiritual law that is more real than the law of gravity. That forgiveness must flow. That while we want it for our lives, it must also flow out to the people who are around us. And the only way that that flow stops is by us. See, we know we need forgiveness. And we'll go to the Lord boldly before his throne as his children and go, I need your forgiveness. I, I've blown it again. I made a mistake. I don't, I've sinned and I, I, I need you to forgive me. But when somebody sins against us and we're like, no, what they need is justice. And the Lord is saying, no, what they need is forgiveness. And if you want the kind of forgiveness that is life-changing and ever-flowing, it has to go from heaven to you, from you to others. And if you shut it off here, it can't flow in here. It's a powerful principle. And again, all of these things, not just forgiveness, although I think this is a big one. I've experienced this in my own life where I... I we talk about loving your enemies, and there was a person in my life that literally was an enemy, who was out to destroy me, my family, my ministry. This was years ago, and the Lord took me on this journey on what forgiveness is all about. <laughs> and I saw the huge difference between saying the words and really meaning them, of letting the Lord peel back that onion of forgiveness. When you're like, okay, there, I forgave him. I'm done. Not yet. we got a little deeper to go. And he takes us to this place where finally forgiveness becomes a place of freedom. But like all the things that he's mentioned, what it requires is for us to be 
spending time with him. To be in the presence of the Lord. To be in that secret place. Going, God, I need you. I need to know you more. I need to understand you more because I have to forgive this other person. It's killing me. It's poisoning me. Or I have to do things from a better motive. Or I need to be more generous or be more kind, whatever it is. It needs to bring us to that place where it's just us and him. And then he can really begin to do an amazing work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we desire for you to do an amazing work in us. And we pray that you would bring us to that quiet place, to that secret place, that we might know you more, that we might grow in our relationship with you, go deeper with you. And that, God, we would be the right representatives of your kingdom here on earth. Lord, not known for hypocrisy, but known for love, known for generosity, for kindness. That your love would be seen in every aspect of our lives, that people would see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.